Our scripture reading this morning is uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 15. So the second book of Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 15. So this is a story about King David. By now he is uh, old or elderly, maybe, and uh, he has children, he has sons, and one of his sons, Absalom, wants to be king himself. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 15. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or case would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass, after forty years, that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. The king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. 
And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today, since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and the Levite, all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if, he's the, but if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and he wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened, when David had come to the top of the mountain, where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so, will I now, so I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, 
Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So we'll stop here. And uh, the text for the sermon is going to be verse 25 and 26. Let us just read those two verses once more. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. After the sermon, we will respond by singing Psalm 27, stanzas 2 and 3. Brothers and sisters, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's try to imagine the scene. An old king fleeing the city where he has reigned for many years. An old king fleeing for his life because there is a rebellion and the people have turned against him. You see him walking there, weeping, barefoot, his head covered, people with him weeping too. This is King David, the great king, the king under whose rule the people have flourished for so many years. He has defeated enemies, he has established a strong kingdom, he has brought the ark of God to Jerusalem. What a shame that this man has to flee for his life and that the people have turned against him. What makes it even more painful is that the leader of the rebellion is the king's own son, Absalom. You know Absalom, one of the princes, handsome. His mother was a princess too. Ambitious. He wanted to be king himself, and he couldn't wait for his father to die in peace. Devious, we read that he stole the hearts of the people by nice talk. And he was also ruthless, Absalom. He had already killed his own brother, Amnon. So David knew Absalom. He loved him because he was his son, but he knew Absalom, the kind of person he was, and he knew that his life was in danger. So David is fleeing from his own son. But there is some comfort. Even though the majority of the people have turned against him and are on the side of Absalom, there are still many as well who are on David's side. We read about it in chapter 15. His servants go with him, his bodyguards are with him, even 600 Philistines who had recently come to dwell in Jerusalem, and then also the priests and the Levites, the priests Zadok and Abiathar. 
So as David is leaving the city with those who are faithful to him, something very touching happens. We read it in verse 24. There was Zadok also, the priest, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. The ark of God. I think the children here in church, they, they know what the ark of God is, what it was. Beautiful, a wooden box, but overlaid with gold. And then there was a lid on top, which was called the mercy seat. And that was where God dwelled among his people. So that box, that the, the, the ark of God was in the tent of the Lord, the tabernacle. But now the priests have brought out the ark because they think David is the Lord's anointed, not Absalom. And he has the right to have the ark of God with him. It must have been very encouraging for David, don't you think? At least the priests and the Levites, the servants of God, who minister before the Lord all, every day, they are still on his side. So David could think, at least the Lord is still with me. You can see they do not want the ark of the Lord to fall into the hands of Absalom. They want, to, they want it to be with me, and they want to support me wherever I go. So the priests are here. They want to follow David and take the ark along. And then we hear these remarkable words. The king speaking to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. What? The priests must have been taken aback. Why does the king want us to take the ark back into the city? He is the anointed one. God himself has chosen him to be king of Israel. Shouldn't the ark be with the anointed one, with God's chosen one? Why does David say this? Why does he say, take the ark back? Has he given up hope? Is he saying, you might as well give the kingship to Absalom? Sometimes there are these moments in the person's life when suddenly there is a crisis and you have to make some quick decisions and you have to make them fast. And in moments like that, everything comes together, your life experience, your wisdom, your insights that you have built up over the years, but also your faith, your trust in God, whether you trust in the Lord and how you trust in him. And so it is here with David. He's standing there on the outskirts of the city. His life is in danger. He has to flee. Now the ark is here. The priests want to go with him, with the ark, and he has to make a decision. Is this good or is it wrong? Should I allow them to come with me with the ark, or should the ark stay in Jerusalem? The Lord has included a report about this in his word. Very difficult episode in David's life. And it gives us an insight in David's thinking and in his faith because he also explains his decision to the priests. So this morning, let's have a closer look at this remarkable episode. 
First of all, let's focus on the decision as such. With these words of David, take the ark back into the city. This decision reveals a maturity in faith, we might say. If David had been a younger man, he might have been tempted to take the ark of the Lord with him. But David has learned some important lessons over the years. He is a mature believer. In the past, you know that story, the Israelites, there was a time that the Israelites took the ark of God into a battle with the Philistines, thinking that when the ark of God is with us, we will surely win the battle. You know how that ended. The Israelites lost, and the ark was taken by the Philistines. It came back later. The Lord made sure it came back, but there was an important lesson there. You cannot just take the ark of God with you in battle and, and say for sure, the Lord now has to bless us and, and give us the victory. That's not how it works. The ark is not a kind of a lucky charm that you can just take along to enhance your chances in battle. It's about trusting the Lord that he can help wherever you are. Later, David, and you know that too, I'm sure, David had brought up the ark of the Lord in Jerusalem. He had said, it's not good that the ark is somewhere there in the country. The ark should be here in Jerusalem. And the Lord had indicated, yes, that is a good idea. So that had happened. The ark was brought up to Jerusalem. It was a, a, a fantastic day. David dancing before the ark, you know the story. And Zion, Mount Zion, became a holy place as a result. And in the Psalms, we sing about that often. Psalm 68, for example. Zion was the mount that God desired for his abode, the place where God will dwell forever. And then verse 35 in Psalm 68, from his sanctuary in Jerusalem, the Lord promised to bless his people. Psalm 134, one other example, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So the Lord made heaven and earth, but he's pleased to dwell among his people on Mount Zion. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. So that's an, another important lesson. The Lord dwells on Mount Zion, but He is the creator of heaven and earth, and He will be with you wherever you go. He will bless you from Zion. During his life, David had experienced this. When he was persecuted and fleeing from, God, from Saul, the Lord protected him. When he was fighting wars against the Philistines or other enemies, the Lord gave him success from Zion. So David had learned over time the lesson that his safety did not depend on having the ark of God with him in battle. He could just trust God's promise, pray to God, and trust God's promise that God would be with him wherever he might go. Because the Lord is omnipresent. The Lord is everywhere. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
So we have an account of David's faith in many of the Psalms that David composed. As you know, David was not just a great warrior, he was also a great poet and a musician. So that's why we sang Psalm 3 before the sermon. A beautiful stanza one. Let me read it again to you. How countless are my foes! How many, Lord, are those now rising to accuse me? You hear David? He has to flee. Absalom and his sons, uh, Absalom and his uh, troops are, are persecuting him. All point at me and shout, God will not help him out. They with their towns abuse me. But here is David's faith. But you, O Lord, will be a shield to cover me when I am faint and weary. For when you hear me sigh, you lift my head up high. You are my power and glory. And then stanza two. Listen to these words. I cry to God, and he from Zion answers me. I will not be forsaken. So David knew. I do not need to have the ark of God with me. I cry to God, and he from Zion answers me. I will not be forsaken. So we see a maturity of faith with David, the kind of faith that trusts in God's promises. So brothers and sisters, here we see the, the value, the beauty, the value of a lifetime lived in faith. For young people, I see some young people in church. For young people, this can still be a question mark sometimes. Will the Lord really be with me in all life situations? But when you get older as a Christian believer and you have always trusted God and you have experienced that the Lord is indeed faithful and He does indeed keep His promises and He does indeed richly bless us when we trust Him, then you, you become more mature in your faith and it becomes a deep trust that I've been through many deep waters, but the Lord has always been with me. Or to quote someone else from the Old Testament, Father Jacob, at the end of his life, Jacob said, the Lord has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Beautiful, if you can say that. So for us today, brothers and sisters, there's a lesson here. Mount Zion is no longer the place where the Lord has His dwelling place. The Lord's dwelling place is now in heaven. Our help today comes from the heavenly Jerusalem, where we have a high priest interceding for us, the Lord Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So, that's the first lesson. We do not need lucky charms around our necks or protection bracelets around our arms, even those, if those symbols may be Christian. You don't need them. I do not need to have a picture of Jesus in my house for protection. If we trust God... He will bless us from His sanctuary, from the heavenly Zion, that is. That's the first lesson. We come to the second aspect. 
We've seen that David has a mature faith. We also see that he has a contrite spirit. David explains his decision to the priests with these words. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it, the ark, and his dwelling place. But if he says, thus I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as, his, as seems good to him. Remarkable words. You feel immediately there is a sense of humility here. David is not speaking like a, a warlord who talks big in order to embolden his soldiers, saying things like, we will be victorious, we will win the battle. He's not like a politician who just lost an election and says, I'll be back in four years' time. It almost sounds as if David is saying, I'm not sure that I deserve to be back, but if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will be back. I will see the ark again. I will see the Lord's dwelling place again. If not, it's good. It's fine. Let the Lord do to me what seems good to him. Now, how should we interpret these words? Is David's faith shaken after all? Has he lost faith in God? Well, it is not that David does not trust the Lord. The thing is that David feels remorse. He knows that this thing that is happening now, this evil thing that has come upon him, that he himself is partly to blame for this. And in order to understand this, we need to go back to a painful episode in David's life. You know the story, I'm sure. It's described in chapter 11 and 12. David had committed adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers, Bathsheba. The soldier's name was Uriah. Instead of acknowledging his sin, he had arranged for the soldier, Uriah, to be killed in battle. It was secret, but the Lord knew. And the Lord sent the prophet to David to rebuke him. Prophet Nathan. And when David was rebuked by Nathan, David acknowledged his sin. He says, yes, I have sinned. And then Nathan said, the Lord ha has forgiven your sin. But this will happen. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. The sword shall never depart from your house. So that was the punishment. Sin was forgiven, but there were going to be consequences. David remained on the throne. But soon after, evil things started to happen in David's household. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar, the sister of Absalom. Absalom then took revenge and killed his half-brother, Amnon. So, the sword had come to David's house. And now the same Absalom has started a rebellion against David. And that is the reason why David speaks the way he speaks. He realizes that evil has come upon him, 
and that even though Absalom is a culprit, he is he's not right, he himself, David himself, is to blame as well. So there is no braggadocio on David's part, no boasting, nothing like, we'll be back. No, he has been humbled. He acknowledges that it is because of his own sins that he is in this awful situation. And yet, he still embraces the Lord as his Savior. He still trusts the Lord's favor. So, it sounds almost double, but that's the way it works. He says, I'm not sure that I still deserve the kingship, but I still trust that the Lord is good and merciful. I entrust myself to him. So, brothers and sisters, there are, again, two important lessons here. First one is this. Sins have consequences. Sins are forgiven by the Lord, but sins have consequences. The Lord is gracious. He will forgive your sins when you ask forgiveness. But there are often still results, consequences. And we know this, don't we? If you sleep with another man's wife, like David did, and you repent from your sin and you seek forgiveness, yes, the Lord will forgive. But in the meantime, there may be results. You may have done a great deal of damage to your own marriage and to the marriage of the other person as well. And you will have to live with the consequences. More examples could be mentioned, of course. That's the first thing. Sins have consequences. The second, thankfully, the Lord will not despise a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, another psalm of David, written after that episode, he wrote, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that is the difference between Absalom and David, the difference between the son and the father. Both men were sinners. But Absalom was arrogant. David was humble. Absalom reveled in his sins, David humbled himself before the Lord. So Absalom will soon experience the Lord's wrath, and David will soon experience the Lord's mercy. For those of us here who are a little bit older already, when you look back at your life, you start to realize that some of the suffering that you experience can be traced to your own sinful attitude, to your own evil desires and deeds. Not everything. Some evil happens, it's done to us by other people. But there is also stuff that happens because we sinned, because I sinned. And then you realize all the more that all the blessings that you experience are the result of God's mercy and grace. And if you then understand the gospel, you learn to see that it is because of God's mercy, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we experience God's fatherly care and blessing.
So we come to the third and last aspect. We've seen David's maturity and faith. We've seen his contrite spirit. There's one more thing, and that is his trust in God's favor and his desire to be with God. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he says, I will see, see the ark of the Lord again and the Lord's dwelling place. David had worked hard to arrange that the ark of God would have a permanent place in Jerusalem. It was one of the highlights of his reign, the day that the ark of God was brought up to Jerusalem. You remember the story, David, he was so happy, he was dancing before the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We hear about it in many of the Psalms of David again. For example, Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of God as favor, that I may always in his temple dwell, to view the beauty of the Lord my Savior, and in his house to seek his holy will. For in the day of trouble and of strife, he in his shelter will preserve my life. Within his tent, he'll keep me at his side. High on a rock, his safety will provide. We're going to sing that psalm after the sermon. So that's David's desire to be close to the Lord, to be at the Lord's dwelling place. Now the question comes up, how sure was David that he would see the ark again? How sure was he that he would see the Lord's dwelling place again? Because he says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will see it again. Now that sounds perhaps a bit iffy. And we can, of course, imagine that David, at this point in time, when he is fleeing the city, that he is wondering whether he will ever come back and, and see the tent and, and the ark of God again. But then again, Psalm 3, that we sang earlier, gives us insight into his faith life. I cry to God, we sang, stanza 2, and he from Zion answers me, I will not be forsaken. In him I put my trust, I go to sleep and rest until at dawn I waken. By thousands I am beset, but God will not forget to be my strength and tower. Though foes and fears array and circle me as prey, I do not fear their power. So David trusted that he would see God again and that God would receive him again. He trusted in God's favor. And that raises a new question. How could David be so sure that he would experience God's favor? How could he be so sure that God would protect and save him? How can you and I be sure that God will protect and save us? Well, it is because of who the Lord is. Not because of something we are. It is because of the character of the Lord. David knew that the Lord is merciful and gracious. There is this other psalm that we often use on days that we have Lord's Supper, Psalm 103. God's mercy, everlasting and unfailing, His righteousness forevermore prevailing, will rest on those who worship Him with awe. Did you hear that? God's mercy, everlasting and unfailing, 
His righteousness forevermore prevailing will rest on those who worship him with awe. And David knew for sure, and he did not doubt this, that God is merciful, and the sinner who flees to God, God will receive that sinner with, who has a repentant heart, and that sinner will not be sent away. He will experience the Lord's mercy and favor. At this point, brothers and sisters, we need to move in our thoughts from David to the son of David, because it is in him that we find the real assurance that God is merciful and gracious. Now, something really beautiful in this text, if you consider where this event took place. So consider for a moment, where was David? when this happened, when he was standing there with the ark and with the priests. Where was he? So he had just left the city. He was on the east side of the city because he wanted to go to the wilderness, to the Jordan. And we also read that after this, he went up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and so forth. And the people with him, weeping as well. So David was, he had just come out of the city, Mount Zion. He was probably on, in the valley of what is called Kidron Valley. And after that, he goes up to Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives. Many years later, the great son of David, the Lord Jesus, would walk exactly the same road. Come out of the city of Jerusalem go through that same valley and then enter the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the foot of the Mount of Olives. He was in such great agony that sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. We read in Luke chapter 23. Now, in the case of Jesus, it was not because of his own sins that he was in agony. He did not need to have a contrite spirit like David. Our Lord Jesus, it was because of our sins that he took upon himself that he was in great agony, that he was weeping. He had to drink the cup of God's wrath because of our sins. And now that we know that Jesus Christ walked that same path and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now we can take those words by David, his father, and say, since God has shown us his favor and mercy in Jesus Christ, I'm confident that I will seek, that I will see God's dwelling place. There is something prophetic in these words of David. When he says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will see God's dwelling place again. Doesn't it make you think of Revelation 21? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them as their God. So, brothers and sisters, the gospel is rich. God's promises are amazing. God's word promises us that those who conquer 
those who persevere in faith, they will have this heritage. Be with God in His dwelling place. That is your future. But those who do not have faith and who refuse to repent from their sins, who oppose the Son of God, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You read that too in Revelation 21. So really, you need to know where you stand because your choice has eternal consequences. Are you with Absalom, the arrogant man who doesn't care about God? Or are you with David, the man with the contrite spirit who sought the Lord's favor and received it? Are you with Absalom who was concerned about occupying the palace? Or are you with David who was concerned about being with the Lord and seeing the Lord's dwelling place? I hope you are with David. And if you are, if that's your desire, you can now sing this psalm of David. We're going to sing it. One thing have I desired of God as favor, that I may always in his temple dwell. Amen.